Have you ever heard something nice about Medicare in the last few years? It's the behemoth among our country's fragmented medical systems. We also pay for it with taxes. So why is it always close to running out of money? Today you'll learn what insolvency means, how our national coverage actually works, and what we should do about their unintended consequences. Your well-being should be about thriving instead of surviving. It's about time to empower yourself and to navigate our healthcare system with ease. My name is Rishi and this is the show, Friendly Neighborhood Patient. Patients have a right to know what they're paying for. Medicare, our national insurance for seniors, is no exception. Knowing that an entitlement will be weaker by the time you age into it is the first step in preparing for other coverage ahead of time. As of this year, the Medicare Board of Trustees still estimates our national insurance for seniors will become insolvent in 2028. That's an improvement from last year's report claiming 2026 is the doomsday. I'll spend a bit of time later in the economics behind that, but what does insolvency mean? What happens when Medicare runs out of money? It's best to start with how the program's funded. It turns out that taking care of the country's seniors ain't cheap. The full cost of Medicare is about 12% of our federal government's budget. However, Medicare did make a surplus in 2021 behind about $888 billion of revenue. 80% of that is funded by a combo of general income taxes and payroll taxes. The Medicare and Social Security taxes draining your paycheck now make up your safety net at 65. At least, that's what's supposed to happen. Anyone younger than 65 might wonder if there's any point to giving Uncle Sam that money if there's no pot of gold at the rainbow's end. Breaking down Medicare's four sections, parts A, B, C, and D, tells another story. Part A, which is the Hospital Insurance Trust Fund, is what you inherit when you turn 65, just automatically. That pays for the kind of inpatient overnight care I discussed in a recent episode. Part B is the health insurance for all the usual medical work you can think of, like going to an office and then coming back home, but you have to sign up for it and pay a monthly premium to get those benefits. Part C is a bit of a zebra among the horses because that section of Medicare makes deals with private insurance companies to sell and package a different kind of coverage. Last but not least, Part D is for drugs. Because of these choices you have to make, do not take your foot off the gas pedal at age 65 for healthcare or really anything else. Each section has different funding streams, but income taxes are the overall support beams. When the government says that Medicare is becoming insolvent, Part A, meaning the hospital care, is the specific area that's running dry. Parts B and D are within a different trust fund supported by taxes and premiums from its members, so both of those programs are projected to stay in place for several decades more. That doesn't mean they're invincible, but government accounting can be flexible. Math works a little differently for federal entitlements. Let's think about a classic equation. Revenue minus costs equals profit. A regular business can't lose money forever unless they have unlimited cushion from a venture capitalist or institutional investor. Medicare's hospital insurance, so Part A, among other sections of the government, can ignore this. Part A operates on a pay-go basis, meaning every new expense has to be offset by revenue at some point. Well, politicians are pretty flexible with what some point means, but this is similar to what the government tried to do with major bills like the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. The taxes Medicare brings are credited to the U.S. Treasury as government securities like bonds that sit on the trust fund's books and generate interest. When patients get their benefits, the Treasury makes the real payment and then a corresponding amount of government securities are written off. 
From 2008 through 2021, there have been only three years where Medicare Part A had a surplus. Medicare then redeems bonds to plug those multi-billion dollar holes. But what if there are no accessible government investments or just no liquidity in the market? The Treasury has to keep borrowing to make up those gaps for Medicare alongside the rest of our country's needs. It turns out that Medicare can't escape a different but also timeless piece of math. Equity equals assets minus liabilities. Because of this, insolvency happens when an entitlement can't pay benefits with tax revenue, interest-bearing assets, and redeeming bonds, meaning you would imagine a negative ratio of asset reserves, meaning all the bonds on the books, to the annual program costs of keeping Medicare going. For now, let's step away from the finance. Insolvency is no revelation. The government publishes their historical Medicare insolvency projections every year. Why is hospital insurance going through a near-constant state of money trouble? Overall demand for healthcare is rising faster than workers can pay for it with taxes. More of our population is elderly and needs extended care. The economy plays a role, too. Weakening GDP expectations invites more unemployment, leading to less payroll taxes. The government already borrows heavily and can't add more reserves to Medicare Part A forever. In order to keep back insolvency for a while longer, Congress may adjust taxes and budgeting, Medicare could reduce physician fees, or a public health transformation needs to happen. I'm gonna hold my breath on the latter part of that. But since Congress has trouble agreeing what today is, and giving the fact that our country is getting older, major change is slow. That being said, Medicare won't disappear. That's not what insolvency is. If the worst comes to pass in 2028, inpatient benefits would fall 10% through 2046, and then 20% more through 2096. There is no Social Security Act provision declaring what happens next. That's the major source of the problem with the insolvency. At this time, the Treasury can't use general revenues to cure the shortfall without legislation. Patient benefits and physician payments would be delayed. The rest of Medicare that enrollees sign up for remains the same. Medicare's hospital insurance and SMI fund, combined, will still grow from 3.9% of GDP now to 6.2% by 2046. There are about 64 million seniors on Medicare today, and those using Parts B and D pay about $200 a month on average for those combined benefits. The government also has more latitude for allocating taxes to backstop the fund, but the Congressional Research Service estimates that personal and corporate income tax dollars would need to climb around 20% to maintain the current share of Part A, B, and D contributions. The Social Security Administration's 2022 report details these outlooks a bit more. That source, among others, will be on my page at rishinagala.substack.com. There's no shortage of politicians and economists throwing out possible solutions at the wall of Medicare's problems, hoping one will stick. It's easy to look outward for proposals, whether they be from our elected officials, hospitals, physicians, or pharmacies. Fiscal policy can help bridge the funding gap, but the unintended consequences of changing our tax code or budget might be a cure worse than the disease. Keeping physician and hospital payments below inflation just incentivizes our country's providers to shun Medicare patients who may get sicker due to deferred care, which is then more expensive to treat later down the line. The young have to budget even more now to compensate for reduced benefits in the decades to come. You get the idea. The externalities go on and on and on. Not to mention that medical conditions can just be out of our control. You might wake up one day and something serious just happens. Let's still accept those facts, but work to improve ahead of an obstacle rather than be a victim of it. 
We human beings have incredible adaptation skills. There's no reason to let ourselves grow old and be resigned to withering away. Unpopular doctors tell you to eat well, sleep more, and move more. They are correct, but that framing doesn't work. People respond to incentives. Think of it like this. Spending a little time every day to eat better, sleep better, and think better will cut your future Medicare premium and liabilities by XYZ dollars. Putting together our best economists, physicians, elected officials, patients, and insurance companies can help us get closer to what that dollar amount would be. After that, patients can create a positive butterfly effect, helping both themselves and their fellow Americans in old age with a less strained medical system. But enough big picture stuff. At the ground level, doctors are trying to reach more patients and streamline medicine by using more physician assistants, nurse practitioners, and other staff extenders. Is this a good thing for your local healthcare system? That's something worth talking about and considering. You'll find out more about that in next week's pod. Stay tuned and subscribe to Friendly Neighborhood Patient for all the healthcare commentary you need. I'll catch you the next episode.